Uh, Pastor Bob led our Grow Together this morning, and um, one of the couples in front, I won't mention any names, said, yeah, it was all right, but we're waiting for you. No, <laughs> no they said he did a great job, and, and they were glad to be there. Um, we're so thankful that we can have the opportunity for Pastor Bob to be able to go in there and people to get to know him, and um, I'm going to speak today so that he could have focused on that. If you want to turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 6, we are going to start in verse 6. And shockingly, I'm going to read the Bible for a little bit. (laughs) So, uh, just hang with me here. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet high, and 45, I'm sorry, 75 feet wide and 45 feet high. Make a roof for it and finish the ark to within 18 inches of the top. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you. You will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring in the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, every kind of animal, and every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. I think that's a pretty cool part. You wonder how the animals got in there? Because God brought them into the ark. He did not go collect them. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and them. Final verse in 22. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Let's pray real quick. Lord, I thank you so much for the privilege to share your word. God, I am am nothing without you. Without your anointing, without your wisdom, this is your word and not mine. So I just ask that you would help me to be obedient, to be sensitive, 
God to listen, not to speak with any agenda of my own, but just to be able to be guided and directed by you. In your name we pray. Amen. As a church, we're taking these first three Sundays to share what we feel are critical priorities of focus for you and your success and spiritual growth in the new year. The health and growth of our church is dependent upon the health and growth of our individual families. Last Sunday, Pastor Bob shared some valuable insight on how to grow personally in our relationship with Jesus. Pastor Tim posted an awesome devotional as well this week. If you've not watched it, um, you should go to Facebook and check it out there. Uh, He posted it there. This week, we want to challenge you in the area of family. After your personal relationship with Jesus, family is your first and most important priority. Something I think is amazing about this generation is the amount of involvement I see out of parents, Uh, both parents in particular. In previous generations, the women were mainly responsible for the home and for caring for children and for family life. But now we're seeing dads more involved than ever in their children's lives. We're seeing grandfathers more involved. I know most of the grandpas here, including my dad and Pastor Nip and different ones, they'll feed them, they'll bathe them, they'll take them, babysit them, as we call it. They don't, they don't like that. Um, transportation, where do I need to drop them off? They're involved in their lives in very deep ways. Parents are involved in their children's extracurricular activities. In general, we try not to miss a sports game or a recital or anything that means something to our children. We will try to get to know their friends and become proactive in their social lives. We're more involved than ever in our kids' lives. Yet, in this generation, we're seeing a scene playing out very similar to the scene we saw in Noah's day. There is great violence. Hearts are perverted, and they're deceived. Rebellion is rampant, and choices are being made to sin over having a relationship with God. I know his heart is broken again. I also know many of us are seeking desperately to know how to protect our families from the culture of evil that is surrounding us. And I want want to share some revelation that I think um, will help that I've received from studying Noah. As I was discussing with the staff, we were discussing what we felt were the priorities uh, that needed to be examined this month for our church and for our families Uh, We we decided family was obviously a top priority, and that would be the week I was speaking. And I'm like, oh, man. (laughs) You know, because that puts a magnifying glass on yourself to begin with anyways. Um, And the Holy Spirit just kept saying Noah. And so I'd be driving or doing whatever and be like, I don't know. We don't really know anything about Noah's family. I just love all. Finally, the Holy Spirit's like, read it, dummy. Like, get it out. (laughs) So as I got God's word out, he just began to speak to me. Noah was living in a time that was so dark and so hopeless that God decided to wipe it clean and start over. 
I mean, that's pretty dark. <laughs> That'd be pretty dark. God's heart was literally broken as he watched his creation and what they had become. He had plans for them. He had created a world with a vision of relationship and joy and beauty. But they had that choice and they chose sin over him. They literally chose death over a relationship with him. God wasn't saying, I made a mistake, I should have never done this. He was responding like a parent, he was grieving. As a parent, I'm sure that many of us can understand the pain that comes when your child makes a choice to rebel and you literally watch them self-destruct. After you created them and provided this life for them of promise, God was watching his children self-destruct. And then he was watching the culture begin to corrupt new generations that were coming in, and it had to stop. We, too, are living in very dark times. Some of the things that we're seeing that have become acceptable and just plain common are blowing our minds. Although these times are dark, I would propose they're not as dark for us as Noah because we actually have each other, right? We have the church. Noah was utterly and completely alone in his faith at the time that God spoke to him. In Genesis 6-3, God said that he had set a timeline and that he would give the world 120 years, and then he would destroy it. It was a warning, and it was a time to repent. After this declaration, when he speaks to Noah, Noah has three sons after God has given him this word and tells him what's going to happen. Can you imagine the weight of the reality of the culture and the future that's coming and then having children in it. It's one thing for God to tell you, you're going to build an ark and I'm going to destroy the world and you need to get in the ark and bring all these animals with you to live. Um, sorry, the gaggies. And, uh, but it's another to now have three babies. And if you're a parent, you get that how your perspective changes on what you're willing to go through, what you're willing to endure, what you're willing to face, and what you want them to. I think as parents, we can allow ourselves to become afraid because of the culture that's our reality in this present time. I've come with good news. Because just as in Noah's day, God has a plan. The first thing I want to share with you is that God is a God of providence. If you don't know what providence means, simply put, he has a plan and he's a provider. He goes before you, he knows. God did not keep Noah in the dark. He communicated with Noah the evil that was around him and what he needed to do to keep his family safe. God's providence is purposeful and it's deliberate. He looks ahead. He prepares a way. He knew what was coming when he blessed Noah with three sons. They were not a mistake. It was not an error that they were born in a time where man was nothing but evil. That's what the Bible says. Every thought of his heart was evil. 
Noah was given the responsibility of raising a godly family in the midst of a truly evil society. He did not have a Christian school to send them to. There was no Sunday school, no youth group, no Christian blogs, no Christian friends. He didn't even have a Bible, right? It had not been written yet. We do. Yet God directed him how to protect his family and save them from the influence of that culture. No matter how dark our world looks, your family was chosen to be a part of it. By design, it was God's plan. Acts 17.26 says, From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. You were chosen for this time, this place. I want to read a quote to you that is not out of the Bible, but it's a quote that impacted me and really changed my perspective and helped me. So I want to read it to you. You've probably, maybe some of you have heard it. Don't feel sorry for or fear our kids, for our kids, because the world they are going to grow up in is not what it used to be. God created them and called them for the exact moment in time that they're in. Their life was not a coincidence or an accident. Raise them up to know the power they walk in as children of God. Train them up in the authority of his word. Teach them to walk in faith knowing God is in control. Empower them to know they can change the world. Don't teach them to be fearful and disheartened by the state of the world, but hopeful they can do something about it. Don't be scared for your children, but be honored that God chose you to parent the generation that is facing the biggest challenges of our lifetime. Rise up to the challenge. God is calling us to rise up. We are called to equip our children to not only survive this time in history, but to radically impact it for Christ. And this challenge is not just for parents with kids at home here. We are all called to fight for this generation. If you are a part of this church family, then these are your babies. These are your children. These are your teens. These are your young adults. God has called us to pray for them. We should be modeling an exciting and authentic life in Christ. They should come in here and think, I want to be like Dina. You know what I mean? Not I want to be like Dina, but I want to have what she has. Right? I want to be like, I want to be like, they're happy. They're fulfilled. They're not, they're confident. They're strong. We are to model that for them. We are to speak life about them. You can ask my children or my husband, 
we do not allow our children to speak about any other children in this church. I will go through the roof. <laughs> I have. Kids are kids, right? We have young people that have gone off the rails here, okay? They're not serving God. They may post their lives as public now. They, they've made an embarrassment of themselves. Do you know what? They are my baby, and they belong to God, and I speak life. I will not talk about their dirt. I will not allow my children to talk about their dirt. These are our children, and many of the people that were adults in my life were very imperfect people, but to me, they were it. And I looked up to them, and they stood up for me, and they cared for me, and they watched over me. This challenge is for all of us. What's the rise to the challenge look like? God came up with the plan, but Noah was given the responsibility. What was the plan? The plan was a what? An ark. <laughs> Very simple. The plan was an ark, but guess who had to build it? Noah. Noah had to build an ark. God's plans require our cooperation and our obedience. Did you know that this is not the first place that an ark is mentioned in the Bible? Remember that story about Moses and the basket and the bulrushes? That was actually an ark. An ark was just a rectangular thing that was coated with pitch and could float. What I think is really cool about that is Pharaoh was going to murder Moses and his mother built this ark and placed him in it because God told her to. Now Noah's children are threatened by the culture and the death that surrounds them, and God again says, you build an ark to protect them. Both were built by parents, and both were made to preserve and protect the future. But Noah's uh, mandate was going to be a little different than the mom's. The mom would have a lifetime of heartache, sending her child away and leaving him. Noah would have a lifetime of work, of literal labor. God said he promised to protect him, but he had to follow all his instructions and obey him completely. This type of obedience would mean years of unwavering faith, devotion, sweat, labor, mockery, loneliness, and even his own finances. Building the ark wasn't like building a shed. Noah was now between five and 600 years old. Yikes. My husband has a hard time sometimes taking out the garbage. He's like, man, I'm getting old. <laughs> I get up, I'm like, oh, my back. And I'm like 45, so hey. He's between five and 600 years old. And according to Answers in Genesis, which I love, it took him somewhere between 50 to 75 years to build the ark. This means 50 to 75 years of consistency, as my husband likes to say, on the wall. He made up his mind. He had a job to do, and he was going to do it for 50 to 75 years every day. 
Sounds like being a parent, actually. <laughs> right, Dad? God gave specific instructions about the type of wood to be used, how many rooms it would have, what kind of pitch to use so it would float, and how big it would be. To give you some perspective, it is nearly one and a half football fields long. 62 smart cars can be parked bumper to bumper from the bow to the stern, and NASA could lay three space shuttles on the ark's deck. This is what Noah was given to build, not engineers today. This was an absolutely overwhelming job that would take a huge portion of his life to complete. He was responsible for coming up with the supplies that were needed, the energy that was needed, and he either completed this massive project alone with his three sons as they grew up, or he had to hire people with his own money. And you can imagine if he hired people with his own money, what kind of relationship they would have had with him during his workday, mocking and torturing him about this ridiculous ark he was building. In Hebrews 11:7, we read, By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith he condemned the world, and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. It was holy fear that drove him to immediately begin building this ark. God gave Noah a warning about the danger that existed for him and his family. The danger was the culture that they were living in. This was what needed to be eradicated. God warned Noah, and he believed him. God attempted to warn the rest of the world, but they did not listen. God is still giving warnings to his children and to the world, and he's still a God of providence. He's diligent in trying to give us spiritual cautions and corrections, and he provides a plan for our provision, and sometimes even for our escape. But we have to be willing to turn our back on the things of the world in order to build an ark. You can't do both at the same time. I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon that it's encouraging and inspiring to see a large percentage of our population so heavily involved in our children's lives. Not only are we their biggest cheerleaders and their supporters, but there's a fierce sense of protection that parents are operating in right now. And I think much of that is driven by fear. We're monitoring their phones for dangerous predators. We're using our phones to keep minute-to-minute communication with them. Did you get there safe? What's going on? Where are you? When are you coming back? We're even putting devices on their cars now that send us an alert if they start speeding. I've been with parents, and they're like, I just got a buzz. You're going 67 in a 55. Like, we are like minute to minute. We have got what they are doing. Why? Because we're afraid. Honestly, we're afraid something's going to happen to them. We watch over their physical body as if it's more important than our own. 
I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this because Liam's car will have five GPSs on it that alert me if he's eating in the car, okay? So I'm not saying anything is wrong with this. But Noah operated out of holy fear. The fear that drove him was about a holy God and the spiritual dangers that his family was facing. Obviously, God wants us to be parents that are vigilant and attentive and involved, but the focus should not be on what can harm the body, but on what can destroy their soul. Matthew 10, 28 says, Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Instead, fear the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. We will spend countless hours and unbelievable amounts of money to make sure our children achieve success in sports or academics. We will drive them around like a taxi cab to make sure they have an active social life. Right, Bob? Right. We want to ensure they have friends and they're not lonely. That's a good thing. We will go into debt for vacations and extravagant events to give them a -a once-in-a-lifetime memory. We will go all out for Christmas. We will make birthdays the best thing ever. We will never miss a game, never miss a recital. We will talk to the teacher who's not treating them right or the coach that didn't give them the chance that they're good enough to have. There are no limits to what we are willing to do to make sure our children are safe and happy, right? Yet absolutely none of this has anything to do with their salvation. It has nothing to do with the eternity that they're going to spend in either heaven or hell. You may be able to work hard enough to give them everything in the world you never had. They may grow up to be the next Baker Mayfield, or not. That's the only one I know. (laughs) That's why I said him. (laughs) That's because you all talk about him on Facebook so much. Who is this Baker Mayfield person? Oh, poor guy. You know why I don't watch sports? Because I feel bad for everyone, so every team that loses, I'm, like, depressed after. And I'm like, it's not their fault. And the men are like, they're paid billions. I'm like, they're human. They dropped a ball, you know. So we just don't even do it because I'm, like, psychoanalyzing every player and what they need and how I can help them after the game. And the boys are yelling at them, and it's a mess. Anyways, let's bring it back in. Serious. (laughs) Anyways, they may grow up to be the next big football player, sports star. You may have the best Disney vacation memories any family could ever dream. That's getting personal. It's getting real personal. But do they know who they are in Christ if the football thing doesn't work out? Because it probably isn't. Because most people don't make it that big. More importantly, if they do make it that big, do they know who they are in Christ? Because now they're definitely not going to make it to heaven if they don't know Christ yet. Because that's a mess of a world to be famous and not know Jesus. Or it could be the platform of their life if they do. 
do they know where the vacations come from? Do you pray over them? Do you thank God for them? Do you look out for people when you're on vacation? Do they know that this vacation is a blessing that was poured out as a result of your family being faithful financially in tithe and giving? Or did we use God's money to go? I know. <laughs> That's like a Brother Henderson move. You hide. I'm just saying, guys, these are the practical things that our children learn from watching us, not from us talking to them. Are your children in church regularly enough to create memories with the church family so that these are their forever bonds? Or are most of their memories things outside of church? Do they hear us in our homes talking about God's miracles? his goodness to us, how he can be seen in the current events around us. Do they hear us worship? Do they see us reading our Bible? Do they know when it's a church day that they're going, no matter what? Are they being encouraged to pray for and speak life over our government and our leaders? Or are they being encouraged to speak disrespectfully and hold out for someone else they can respect later? What's the atmosphere in our homes? Because the ark is not being built in the church parking lot. It's being built on your property. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9 says, These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk on the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. In other words, every minute, every second, every activity should be about him. It should lead back to him. We should thank him. We should honor him. We should talk about him. This does not just apply to parents with children in homes. What atmosphere are you taking to that family dinner? What atmosphere are you taking in that hospital room, Dina? It's life-changing. It's life-changing. It has changed adult lives when siblings and aunts and grandparents and cousins walk in and build an ark wherever they're at and say, come in. Come in here. You're safe here. And I want to talk to you about something that brings peace and true joy and protection for your life. What kind of ark are we building? Is Jesus the center of our homes, of our activities? Or is entertainment, achievements, and even the day-to-day -day grind? Because I find I have good intentions all the time with my kids, and then I get busy. And another day we didn't pray. Another day we didn't read a devotion or talk about God at all because we were so busy. In Luke 6, 47 through 49, we read, As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it 
because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground with a foundation, without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck the house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. You can't rebuild a foundation once the house is done. The house has been built. Noah was favored by God, and sometimes we get a mistake, and I'm wrapping up here, worship team. It's said in some versions that Noah was perfect. Because we're used to using words in English in certain ways, we just automatically assume that's its use in the Bible. But in the Hebrew, it did not mean that he never made a mistake, because as we know, after he got off the ark, he made a big mistake, if you know the story. An embarrassing sin that his children tried to cover up for him. But it meant that Noah had integrity. He was favored because he had integrity. That doesn't mean being perfect. It just means being surrendered and being obedient. Noah could have easily been distracted by his surroundings. He could have easily been sucked into the culture around him but he stayed the course. He kept his focus on what was most important, the salvation of his family. Noah knew what God said was true. He knew that his children would live through this time, but they also had a purpose beyond his time. He was responsible to model this integrity and live it every day by showing his obedience. He believed God, and he would obey God without hesitation. His children were able to remain God's in unprecedented evil because Noah remained committed to God, even in that culture. You have nothing to fear in this culture if you're building an ark. God knows you by name. He knew you would be part of this time. He knows your family by name, and he's called you to such a time as this. However, we've got to be deliberate about creating this space of protection from the culture and not allowing ourselves to be deceived into thinking we can live similarly and kind of absorb ourselves into this world and spend most of our time and energy in the things of the world and then still be under this protection of God's providence. We must build the ark day by day by day. Every day, get up and make up our mind. What's our purpose here? We don't belong here. We've got to build a structure for where we're going, right? We have a purpose. We have an eternity. And our children are not just listening to the mandate, and then watching for the finished product. They're watching every day, are we still building? Are we still building? Are we still doing what mom and dad said was important? Is my grandma and grandpa still living out what they said was important? Because we can't put down the tools when we want to do something else and then come back when it's convenient. We got to keep building. We can't leave when we've run out of money because we want to spend it on something else and come back when we're ready again. 
We gotta, we gotta have that consistency, but it's possible. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can do this. You can do this as men and women of God who are leading the children of this church and the young adults, really anyone who is younger than you. I still look up to those mentors in Christ. I still go to some of my mentors, Pastor Nip and stuff, when we need things. We, we continue to learn from them, but they have to stay solid in order for me to be able to trust that and have that. And I want that for this church. I want that for your families individually. I want to see salvations. We are already seeing that. We have gotten testimonies of people's brothers being saved, parents being saved, children being saved. You can be an ark for them, for the salvation that God has for them. Let's just end this with prayer, and then um, our worship team will kind of finish us out. God, I thank you for your great covenant and promise to us that never again would you flood this earth, but you would send Jesus, who would be a bridge to us, and he would be the sacrifice. He would be the bloodshed. He would provide what was needed for our atonement and forgiveness. Your grace is greater than ever before, Lord. So let us take that as an open door to reach our families, God, to call them in to the ark that every day we have committed ourselves to building. God, let there be no condemnation because God knows that none of us have done it perfect. None of us have gotten it right every day, God. We've all made mistakes and we will continue to. But I thank you that you are our righteousness. God, that when we, we fall or we make mistakes, we just start again with you and you empower us. So Lord, let there not be a spirit of condemnation, but an inspiration today that 2022 is the year of our families that it is a year when we will bring them. God, we will build the ark and you will lead them in. Whoever's supposed to be there, you will guide them to us. We commit, Lord, to staying on the project, to being who you've called us to be. And we thank you and praise you for your goodness, your power to do it, and your great love that covers a multitude of our sins. In your name we pray, amen.